0: Hi everyone, welcome to episode sixty-five of Tunes Mate. I'm Mark, and I'm Ray. And Ray, I had an opportunity to interview Todd Thompson and Colin O'Malley. One's a director, one's a songwriter, composer, and it was fascinating to talk to them about their process, how they work together to create the soundtrack to a movie. And I know you appreciate soundtracks. What's your favorite? movie soundtrack of all time.
1: Yeah, I listen to a lot of soundtracks. I've had whole periods of my life where I, you know, that's what I put on in the background. We've talked before about soundtracks like Footloose and Top Gun and, you know, ones that are made of a bunch of uh, made-for-pop radio hits, but you're talking about music scores, right? So, uh, yeah, I got a a bunch of my love, but probably my favorite of all time has got to be Dune. I listen to that thing a lot. Some of the music on there that the toto and brian eno did for that soundtrack is just phenomenal and when you're listening to that and a lot of us we
0: tune into movies and i think this was one of the big takeaways that came from this interview is that you think about you're watching a movie but what would it be without the music i just it would i don't think you could would be able to watch a movie without the music
1: no you can't in fact. You know, I've even had uh, classes where we talk about exactly that and do assignments on exactly that kind of thing. They consciously build music into the movies to make the emotions more powerful, to make you feel certain things. I mean, I can think of all kinds of great examples of this. One that always seems to come to mind is I remember, gosh, 30 years ago or so watching. I remember when um, I think it was when Sleepless in Seattle came out and there were comparisons of it to An Affair to Remember, an old film from the 1950s that had Cary Grant and Deborah Kerr in it. And I remember after watching Sleepless in Seattle, I rented An Affair to Remember. And the ending scene, um, and I'm not going to talk about what's in it, but in case anybody wants to just watch it. But the ending scene where the two characters come together, it's sort of, I just remember being struck by how strong the, the the score was to try to really play into the emotions and get you to feel you know sort of the the sense of these characters coming together and whatever and so it's just uh and and that's i mean it's an old it's going on for as long as there have been hollywood studios uh and actually even before you know before that you can go back to to early early uh big big blockbuster films early early 20th century and music has always played a role. I mean back then it really did because you didn't you know before talkies you didn't have dialogue. So the music was actually instrumental and no pun intended there, right? But the, the 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 music was instrumental in making you feel the emotions they wanted you to feel because you didn't have dialogue to help with that. And then as dialogue came in, I mean they just they they realized that you know playing certain types of music could really make Uh, certain emotions come out from audiences and yeah, you watch any film and the score is an inherent and important part of what they, what they're doing.
0: Yeah. And Colin was even saying when he's working with Todd, Todd also has a vision of where the music should be and how it should work along. He considers it another character of the film, which I think is a really interesting point that you, I think you just drove home.
1: Yeah, that's a really fascinating idea that think of the score as a character, right? Yeah, in a way, it kind of acts that way. It's one more piece of the puzzle, and so acts as another interacting factor with the other characters, yeah.
0: Well, I can't wait for everyone to listen to this interview. It was fascinating to sit down and have both of them interact together, and I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. And when we come back, we'll wrap it up. I have the honor of being joined by Todd Thompson and Colin O'Malley. How are you doing today?
2: Doing great. Just How are great. You? Thank you.
0: Excellent. So, Todd, you are a director, actor, producer, Colin, musician, composer, songwriter. It's always so cool to get a team together and talk to them about their process and what they do. Todd, I wanted to congratulate you on... Woman in Motion. It. I. I watched it. It really is excellent. It. The only word I could write down was triumph. <laughs> How did that whole project come about?
2: Well, I um. So I, I have a producing partner, and uh, he called me one day. It was. It was. I definitely remember. It was like November of 2014, and um, I was still with Disney at the time. I was, you know, making films on the side, and and you know, getting acting gigs and stuff on the side. But I, I came home one day from work and uh, I had this phone call from Tim and, and and it was it was Tim and his friend Dave. And they, they, they're both, you know, Star Trek nerds and NASA. And so we, we were, I don't know, I think at the time we were about a year and a half, two years away from the Star Trek 50th anniversary. So they, they were just kind of looking forward and excited about that. And, and, you know, a big fan of Nichelle's from the beginning. I, I give the credit to Dave Teak my other producing partner, you know, he recognized that, you know, there's a big part of Nichelle's story that's, you know, really never been formally told in, in a film, if you will. So the the call to me was very short. It was just basically, it wasn't even a pitch. It was like, Hey, we're doing a movie about Nichelle. And so they kind of gave me the, the 20 words or less pitch. And I, I was on board right away because I mean, I, of course I grew up watching Star Trek and enjoying the movies. And I certainly knew who Michelle's character was, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I'm a sucker for a good story, and you know what she did after Star Trek to, um, you know, leverage her celebrity, if you will, to basically change the face of the space program forever, was pretty phenomenal. So that you know, they 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 basically you know had me at hello, and I was on board, and and you know, five, five, <laughs> five years later, we have women in motion. So uh, it was it was quite the trek, if you will, to get it done.
0: Ah, solid trek in there. Very nice. So have you been collaborating with Colin for a while? And then not, how do you loop Colin into this project?
2: Yeah, no, that's a, a kind of a cool story too. So even earlier on in my filmmaking career, if you will, I was speaking with, uh, I was speaking at an event. It was, it was we, we have, a, there was a group here in Florida. Um, it was FMPTA, Florida Motion Picture and Television Association. But uh, anyways, I, I, we were, I was speaking at, um, we were up on a table, you know, board, uh, or talking, one of the talking heads up there at the table. And, um, just talking about, you know, projects we were doing and our passion for filmmaking. Uh, we were just on the cusp of directing and producing a short film called time. And again, that I did with an actor named Seymour Cassell. And I don't know, we were, we were weeks away from rolling cameras on that. And then after, after the, you know, the talk was over, people came up and said hi to us and, you know, asked questions. And, and then Colin walks up and hands me this uh, CD that he had just done. And I, you know, I, I popped it in the car on the way home and listened to it. And I was just like, this, it was amazing. It was, you know, I, I it was very John Williams to me, very John Barry. I mean, I, I just, that's my kind of composers, you know, I, I love their work. And Colin, it was very symphonic and, and I'll let Colin tell you more about what that CD was, but that's how we met. And, and I think, I don't know, the next week or week after we we had lunch, we grabbed coffee, whatever it was. And I obviously had time and again in my head. And I said, listen, I'm doing this movie. It, it's, the music's got to be beautiful. And, and um, that was the start of it, right?
3: Yep, sure was. I And we won't say what year that was, Don.
2: <laughs> I was 18 yeah. and
3: something. I don't know. Yeah, way back.
0: But yeah. That's amazing. And so, Colin, I mean, it, there's this instant collaboration, it sounds like. And, and then Todd loops you into this movie and does the music just start coming to you? What is your process? I know there's so many that many composers want to see the movie while they're writing it, or they can read the script, or do you have preconceived ideas or is it all the above?
3: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is all the above, but in, in this case, Todd and I both, I mean, we're very much children of, you know, the star Wars, John Williams, Spielberg thematic scores, which you know just melodies that you you're humming as you exit the theater sort of a thing and um, I think that was always the first thing really everything Todd and I've done it's been that way we sit down and and I say hey here's the melody for in that case it was kind of Seymour's theme it it was a nice little film about clocks was a a big theme in the film and so the the score had kind of a pulse of a ticking clock Mm -hmm. and uh, in that melody but once we kind of had that theme it, it kind of grows from there and then Todd definitely did, had storyboards as well that I looked at, but in many cases, you don't have that. I mean, Todd, that's, it's one of the things I love about working with Todd. He's very visual and he's very involved in the music as opposed to sometimes it really can be a, you know, kind of a mad dash at the end and they just, you know, do your thing. They're not as hands on, but Todd has always been very, very, you know, close collaboration on the score, whether it was time and again, we've done a number of his, his films and then women in motion and. And more recently, the prefab, the Beatles documentary he's mentioned.
0: It sounds, I mean, what I always find interesting is when I'm watching a movie like Woman in Motion, and because I love music, I'm focusing on it. I think most aren't. I think they're just, they're for watching the film, specific songs help flavor per se a scene or really, it's amazing. I think there was a study where they showed they played a, a movie without the music and you yeah. could really tell the difference.
3: Oh yeah. There's no, it makes a huge difference. And I do agree even more. So I think the current era we're in, you know, the loudness wars, as I say, or, you know, sound design, it's the music can get lost sometimes or even more in just the s- current scoring trends. Things are a little less melodic, kind of more atmospheric textural kind of, kind of things, which is cool. But I do miss the, the era where, you know, do, 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 Jurassic Park. Here comes, you know, the helicopter flying to Jurassic Park, kind of a moment. Or it's, uh, I, I still try to to bring that to what I do, and I and Todd's the same. We kind of have that. I guess it's it's we're not that old, but it's almost you know kind of classic now. It's it's, uh, and I think it's coming back too. Like scoring trends kind of come and go and, and change. I mean, yeah. Hans Zimmer certainly has had a massive influence, but you know, so has John Williams. So they kind of just like the '80s has come back. I think a lot of the thematic orchestral scoring that I love is starting to resurface again in, in scores.
2: Yeah, I mean, music to me has always been just an, another character in the film, really. So, you know, when I sit down to even write something or if I'm sitting down to storyboard, you know, a shot or a scene like, you know, it's it's musically driven. I mean, that's like an unseen character in the film for me. So I've always got that in my head. And I, I just think it like to what you said, Mark, it just sort of lends itself to the overall
0: visual of what you're taking in you know yeah i love that it's like another character and when it came to women in motion knowing that it's nichelle and the background that you were fans before and you've seen those probably i don't know how many series there were with that franchise somebody out there knows but did you approach it differently or was there something that you wanted to bring out in that film in particular when it came to directing and looping Colin in? Or was there any different approach on that one?
2: Um, no, I mean, I you know, he's always my first choice go-to. And, you know, my first question is, you know, is he available? Is he able to do it? Because, you know, he's busy all the time. <laughs> and so, but it was, it was just kind of, you know, very serendipitous that, you know he was available and interested in doing it i mean yeah colin i'm trying to think it's been a while but i yeah, i mean i know we went to lunch to talk about it but i you know i think we had the conversation well before the film was done or even oh, ready yeah. to be composed very because, much so yeah yeah you know because again i'm I'm always thinking mm-hmm. that far ahead almost like you know the soundtrack's playing in my head as i'm planning to go shoot something or do an interview or whatever and so so you know we, we it just we, we get the wheel started early you know and I think it's just helpful because a lot of the things that he says or he throws my way, I take into consideration, and it really helps guide me directorially to you know what direction I want the film to go in and how I want that to feel and what moments I want to make sure we hit. So it's uh, it, it's it's very collaborative from a very
3: early point on.
0: And Khaled, did were you there when Michelle was singing "Fly Me to the Moon" in, in the, the credits?
3: No. Oh gosh, I wish I was. No, it <laughs> was amazing. I bet I no i i just um I, I remember i think it was probably our first meeting talking about it and i i knew i mean i'm also i really am a huge star trek fan as well and i knew that she was a great singer and i was like Todd, is there any way that we can get her to record on the score and he just laughed at me and i was like what he's like you'll see and then i watched it I was like, and then i mean the fly me to the moon moment is brilliant and i don't want to give it away but
2: with Fly Me to the Moon, it's interesting. Um, so Nichelle actually recorded that song a year before. It was kind of a birthday surprise for her. They took her into a studio, and that was one of her favorite songs. So she recorded it, and you know, they shared it with me while we were still filming. So, of course, I you know mentioned it to Colin and whatnot. But I, I, I didn't know at the time how we were going to fit it into the film. And so with, with a lot of my films, I always like tell people, make sure you watch all the credits because a lot of times I hide some fun stuff in the end credits not at the end like a marvel movie but usually like right smack dab in the middle so if you as you're watching woman in motion come to the end make sure you stick it out but the funny th- the funny story is you know she recorded flying me to the moon a year before we actually filmed it so when we were in in la filming with her one trip we you know booked some studio time and we we had a studio right down the street from paramount and we, we brought her in and, and really the assignment was you know just Set up the room and get her in the studio, and you know, have her sing along to her pre-recorded track. But she was, she was. The funny story is, she was such a professional, and she just insisted on like re-recording the song, even though we weren't recording. We were just doing playback. She just went on and on and on, and like we 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 must have. I mean, we, I think we had two or three hours blocked for that scene, and we were there for like maybe six or seven hours because, you know, she would. St- stop tape and start tape and even again even though we were not recording she's like oh let me let's, let's stop that and let me try it again and i'm like well you just really need to just kind of you know you know uh lip sync it if you will and she goes no no no, i want to get this right and and you so you'll, you'll <laughs> you can never tell but she, she literally like recorded the song twice the track that we were using in the movie and then her own personal track that day so it was just an interesting story how we uh we, we truly got a chance to see her sing that song like live even though the, the track you're hearing in the film was recorded about a year prior.
3: Uh, it's just a brilliant, brilliant moment, I think. But I, when I'm thinking about you know, that initial meeting, normally you know, I've scored a number of documentaries, and you know, there's not always a huge opportunity to do a big sweeping score. It's kind of, just by the nature of a documentary, uh, usually kind of more understated. Mm-hmm. But this was very, very different. You know, I, I really, it, we approached it like a feature film. And, um, and I, our goal was, you know, go, people will see, leave the theater, humming the score to a documentary, which perhaps isn't something you always do. Um, and, but it was, it really was fun that way to, to try to bring that epic kind of soundtracks that we love to the documentary format, but also at the same time, it couldn't just be like, you know, knocking off star Trek, which would kind of be the cliche approach, I guess. She had, it was kind of threading the needle and bringing something new to it, but also giving that flavor of Star Trek, but also kind of the almost spiritual weight of what Nichelle did in her life. So it was, it really was, it's one of my favorite projects I've ever worked on. It really was very rewarding.
0: I could tell. I can tell everything from the beginning to the end. It, it really was magical. And I'm curious though, I, mean, I am a huge music fan, but I'm seeing that from your work, Todd, that you are as well. I mean, there's a documentary about Del shannon you've got one prefab beatles am i seeing is there a trend here um i mean yeah there is but it's not i probably not what you're thinking
2: um (laughs) we um so the the gentleman that uh brought the beatles project to me he's a huge music fan and um halfway through production on prefab and actually while we were doing the final mix on woman in motion mark is his name, Mark Bentley. He called and said, Hey, you know, what do you think about Del Shannon? And at first I was like, you know, who's Del Shannon. And so, but you know, you, you immediately know Del's music. I mean, he was a rock and roll icon for, you know, many years in the early sixties and, you know, and a trendsetter for rock and roll um, back in the early days. But, you know, again, another story that's never really been told, and he's got a really fascinating story, just a, a nobody kid out of Coopersville, Michigan, who writes a, runaway hit called the runaway and uh went on to become a rock and roll icon after that so again a really cool hero story and and you know what he did with his music and and how he was one of the first artists that had to find a way to fight to get the rights back to his music you know that's Mm -hmm. really what the essence of the story is and and you know preserving his legacy and all that so it's very much a you know a music driven film but it's about a whole lot more than that but uh yeah so that's that's the reason why i'm involved in that project as well um because the, one of my producing partners is a, a huge fan and a huge admirer of dell but but again it's a it, it's a great story to tell so i was again immediately hooked and just really enjoying working on that film too the, i mean dell's family is amazing and the people around him that still just really admire his work and, and who he was as a person is
0: pretty amazing so uh, it's, it's been a fun and rewarding process yeah i love documentaries and especially when it's music and I've probably watched too many of them and I always look forward to them. so I will definitely be perched for that one. And Colin, for you, I mean, you,'ve you know, there's prefab. Are, are you also excited with taking approach at this rock and roll these, these rock and roll legends as well? or are you looped into those projects
3: too? On prefab yes. The Beatles or the Quarrymen uh, that became the Beatles documentary. I've been working with that. Gosh, we—it's been maybe a couple of years now with Todd, year and a half. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. Um, he took me to Liverpool <laughs> about really last November, and it was amazing, absolutely amazing. Just being in their childhood homes and just walking in their footsteps, and it, I re- its as a composer or songwriter, it's just you know, it doesn't get any better than that. But yeah, I did do the, the the score for prefab, and it's it was really fun to do you know, something very different, uh, score-wise than I've done. We we tried to again. It, it sounds Beatles influences, but also you know some of something new as well. Um, and I'm also a songwriter; it's a big part of what I do. And and just like when I got back from that trip to Liverpool, I, I don't think I've ever written so many songs in my <laughs> life. So just just so inspiring to to it's just been a really fun project. There's, there's, something, there's
0: definitely something in the water over there.
3: Yeah, it really just, is.
0: It sounds like it. It's. I couldn't even imagine. I I had an opportunity one time. I got a tour of. I think it was the Nashville studio, and I was able to sit down at Elvis Presley's piano. He wrote all these songs oh. at. Oh. And I felt when I was sitting there, that the room started spinning or something. It was. It was <laughs> wow. I just can't even imagine how you felt walking through and how inspired you were. Oh yeah, it
2: was yeah, it was, it was pretty cool over there. I mean, you know, obviously we spent a lot of time in the Cavern Club. There's a lot of history there, but even you know, one of my producing partners on prefab Colin Hall he he wrote the book Prefab, which is what the movie's based on, but he also takes care of John Lennon's house and, and lives about four or five doors down from John Lennon's house. So you know, just being there and and then you know getting to spend time in Paul's house. You definitely, you know, you definitely feel the vibe. It's like this energy in the in the house, just purely based on you know who used to live there, and and you feel it when you walk in the door, you know.
0: Yeah. So for you, Colin, when you visited there, you were inspired. You wrote a bunch of music. Is that one of the primary drivers? Is new places? I've had a bunch of musicians that said, "Well, I like." switching different instruments. Different instruments inspire me. Some musicians have said that they are just writing constantly, others set periods of time and say, no, I'm gonna sit down today, I'm gonna to write a song. Mm-hmm. Do you have a very specific way how you're influenced or write music?
3: You know, I do, I'm here every day writing, I and mean, that I definitely, and it, some days it's songs, other times I'm working on a score or even just a orchestral piece, more and more, as I get, I'm not that old, but I'm getting older. I, it's about carving out time to write what I want and just on my own terms versus, you know, for a deadline or, or a, a, a you know, a client, I guess. So I, I do try to carve out probably half my time is, is spent doing that, but there's no question, you know, going to Liverpool, it completely changed my approach to that score. And, you know, also meeting we, a big part of it, what I hope I'm not give anything away, Todd, but prefab, It tells a story mostly of Colin Hanton, who was the original drummer in The Quarry Man. So at one point, it was literally John, Paul, George, and Colin was the original before they became the Beatles. And just meeting him and being in his house, there's just something about that. He's just a remarkable person. Very, very humble. You know, worked as an upholster his whole life, a lovely wife, and, you know, was almost in the Beatles. And, but, you know, life went a different way for him. And he's not the least bit bitter about it. He, he has really no regrets. And it, it, was, just, it was just amazing to be in, the, in, in that you know kind of juxtaposition. That's a big word. Of you know, the, You're in Liverpool and it's this Beatles hype, but then you have this humble gentleman who was right there, a part of it. It was really inspiring. And in his house at one point, he noticed Todd and I are both pretty tall. He noticed I was tall. He's like, I'm not going to try to imitate his ac- accent, Todd. But <laughs> he said, you know, the light bulb in my bathroom is burned out. Could you change it? <laughs> so I lugged the ladder upstairs. I changed the light bulb in his bathroom. And then we made the joke like, how many quarrymen does it take to change a light bulb? But I mean, it was just, just little stuff like that. He's just a really, really neat guy. And I think, oh, right. but, I but, that. but that was, uh, anyway, there, uh, I'm kind of rambling, but ultimately when I'm writing the, the prefab score, that was a huge part of it of mm-hmm. like, I, I told him when I was in his house, I'm gonna write your theme song, Colin. And he's like, oh, I'm going to have a theme. I said, yep, everywhere you walk, that's what's going to play. It's going to be great. And I really, that was really what I tried to do in the score. And I think we, I think we did that. I think it, it really came together in a personal way, but without having that personal connection and experience with him, Mm -hmm. I don't think it would have been the same. I think that's really important.
0: You have some musical influences, but you personally have a story to tell.
3: Yeah, I, you know, Todd and I, Todd mentioned, you know, obviously a big influence of ours is John Williams, but also for me growing up was Yanni. At, you know, time in the 80s and the 90s when he was coming up, he was one of the first people I saw that, you know, had a stack of synthesizers and he'd play them. And I was a huge synthesizer guy. And I would, you know, play in my high school talent shows and stack two synthesizers just to be like Yanni. And I really, really was inspired by, you know, almost he had a, the first guy I saw who was kind of a rock star, but, he didn't sing just playing synthesizers. So I was like, Hey, I can do that. But anyway, fast forward, gosh, it would have been probably 2003. One of my, my good friends, uh, he's now the godfather of one of my kids. Actually, we were, we, we just met and we were talking and uh, and he mentioned that he was Yanni's studio technician and that Yanni is based about three hours from me and in, in West Palm beach is where his his studio is. And uh I was like, Are you kidding me? He's like, Yeah. I and he didn't think he hadn't known Yanni growing up like I did. So he just he was just Yanni, just a guy who's a talented musician, but didn't have kind of the aura around him that it did for me. And but long story short, eventually Pete Pete Lehman is uh my my buddy who worked for Yanni took my demo CD. What I did is I I, I it was my it's the same demo I sent a Todd Thompson, ironically. And then I also took one of Yanni's songs and did an arrangement of it and reorchestrated it. And just to, just for, to see what he would think. And long story short, he loved it. He invited me down to his studio. We really hit it off. We really hit it off. And I work from that point on, I worked as his orchestrator and kind of synth programmer, finding, you know, making sample libraries sound good and all the technology side of things for about 20 years. really, so I've, it's, that led to, that's what that led to. And it really was, you know, I owe a big part of my career to him. Really, he, he kind of gave me freedom. I had a kind of a base salary with him, which was unheard of for a struggling composer at the time. And, and what that enabled me to do was build a career and not having to be worried about you know, keeping the lights on, being able to just focus on music. So I really do owe him a huge uh, debt of gratitude. He's a fantastic guy. He really is very kind. And, and even just seeing him, being in the studio with him and seeing how someone like that operates, their psychology, their drive, it was fascinating. And it's, it's like probably the most valuable education of my life, I would say, more so than, than college for me, was just that time spent in his studio. So there you have it. There's my Yanni story. <laughs> well, it's amazing. It's see, so, 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 like, that the
2: guy was wrong. It, it didn't take you 10 years. It took you just meeting Yanni.
3: Yeah. Well, it's kind of true. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and then Colin you, and Mark, you gotta hear this one real quick too. Colin, you gotta tell him, speaking of, you know, writing music in high school, there's a, there's a moment in woman in motion. It's like a shuttle montage where all the launches are happening. And it's this very 80 sounding piece of music that Colin actually wrote for a high
3: school talent show. Competition. Yeah, no, it was, it was like my, like I, uh, it's called Stratus, and it's a uh, very much. This was in the Harold Faltermeyer, Axel F kind of time period. Mm-hmm. I rocked my talent show with that thing, man! It was great. <laughs> but we were, we were scoring the women in motion, and I just slapped it in as a temp, thinking, "Oh, I'm gonna need to do some kind of, you know, '80s synth thing here," and it just completely worked. I and it's. <laughs> It's so yeah, I wrote it so I would have been thirteen years old. <laughs> and now it's it's ends up, you know, how many years later in Women in Motion. It fit and an, and, an emmy no, an emmy nominated score. <laughs> so hey, you never know.
0: You never know what you're gonna write when you're thirteen. And it becomes I exactly. mean nominated score. Yeah. It's amazing. Thank you for sharing the story. You bet. Can't wait to see it. And and for you, Todd, it sounds like what drives you it's all about the story
2: yeah all the time 100 percent. you know story the characters that are you know part of that story and the music that follows them along of course <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly and you said you had started as an actor and moved to directing was that what drew you in was the the storytelling aspect of it as well
2: yeah. I mean, I, I was, I mean, ever since I was a kid, I mean, I would, you know, come home from school on Friday nights and, you know, my grandparents would be waiting for me and we'd go out for a steak dinner at Ponderosa or period steakhouse back in the day. And, and then we'd head down to Medina where my aunt and uncle used to own a movie theater and Medina, the Medina theater. So I, I would see all my first run movies Friday and Saturday nights, you know, staying at grandma's house for the weekend. As I got older, you know, I got to sit up in the projection booth with this guy named this 350 pound guy named Big Charlie. And he used to, I used to help him like change out the reels. And so I I just kind of got introduced to the movie business that way, I think. And then I'd go home and I I used to write and put on plays and, you know, borrow my grandpa's eight millimeter camera and make little short little films growing up. And then, and then, you know, when I relocated to Florida, um, you know, I got into it pretty hard and heavy with feature films and television shows that were being shot down here. And, and I, you know, would start traveling to places like Tennessee and North Carolina, to, you know, to work on films and whenever I would get cast in something. But um, what I found was learning, you know, having the writing in uh, under my belt, the experience of writing and then reading a script and being able to now act it out kind of naturally forced me to, you know, really, pursue directing more heavily and, and, you know, everything's just kind of full circle. So like as an actor and it I I guess, you know, if you kind of compare it to, to a composing, you know, parallel, you know, the, the more, you know, about each instrument and what each instrument can bring to the table, you know, you're thinking about all the pieces and parts all the time. And, and, you know, even sitting in the editing room, I'm not an editor, but I know how to direct an editing session because as a director, it ends up, you know, producing something very melodic at the end of the day, whether it be a story or a score. So. That's kind of how i i knew what i was going to shoot and why i was going to shoot it and as a writer i creatively approach it when i wanted to direct so it just kind of all
0: plays into each other yeah i love that full circle aspect of it understanding how everything's going to overlap and of course including the the music and i love the analogy and i guess for you colin it sounds like you're continually driving is there something that's fueling you to continually create and compose and everything you're doing
3: uh, yeah you know I I get asked this a lot or even or people ask me oh your kid's musical and they are but what I had and I think Todd had was I had to do it there was no other I just I couldn't imagine do anything else and I think that's pretty key because it's not it's easy to I don't know, kind of romanticize the entertainment industry. We all love films. We all love music. There, it absolutely is exciting. There is that side of it. But then there's another side of it that is a, a, lo- a long, hard slog. It takes a long time to build a career. And it's, you know, it can be demoralizing sometimes. It takes a lot of persistence. And I, I remember there was another composer. Gosh, probably this was probably 25 years ago when I was just starting out. He told me, it'll take you at least 10 years to build a career. And he said, if you're not ready for that, don't do it. And I remember thinking, yeah, right. I, But he was dead on. It took me 10 years to where, I, you know, I remember, you know, I have a very supportive wife and, and, uh, you know, like I joke, like how you have a wife putting somebody through medical school. Yeah. She did that for me, you know, for a decade. And then, but you know, it, it, it works out. It's if, if you stick with it and, uh, but I always tell people that like, it's not about you know, don't romanticize it. You, you'll, you've got to really have to do it. You can't, can't just be a hobby on the side. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, cause it just, it's kind of all consuming of like even going back to Todd of, you know, if you look at women in motion or even prefab or even other projects he's working on, there's, there's another one. I won't say any names, Todd, but they, they take years, years and years, you know, five years is nothing to get a documentary done. That's just the way it goes. It's just a, a very long game. And you really, really have to have kind of an endless passion, which I do. I still, I can't imagine doing anything else and I still love it after all these years. So I think that's really the key. That's just great.
0: Just perspective. And Todd, I am imagining you you're carved out of the same stone.
2: Yeah. Just the other side.
0: Yeah. Totally. And for anyone that, You've got a lot of projects coming up here. I mean, it's amazing how many things you, I guess, have in the hopper. So some of the latest ones that I guess our audience can go and enjoy. Obviously, we talked about Women in Motion. We talked about the Del Shannon project. Prefab is the one that most individuals can start gearing up for. Is that the prefab movie?
2: So Woman in Motion, actually we, we sold Woman in Motion during COVID and it's available on Paramount now. So anyone, you know, can stream it exclusively on Paramount plus it's available on all the other platforms, you know, to rent or buy if you want it. And if you buy it, you get all the cool bonus features and stuff, right? But yeah, next up for us is Prefab. So we, we just put the finishing touches to that movie, another four or five year journey on that one. And we're actually coming to Cleveland end of March for the uh, Cleveland International Film Festival. So we'll be able to put it in front of audiences for the first time and and you know kind of get a gauge. It's cool that it's, you know, my hometown and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame capital, so it's kind of appropriate that it's a music film about one of the biggest bands in history. So uh that's pretty cool. It's it's and I, ironically it's like the last Beatles story to tell about how it all began. So uh Again, kind of a story nobody's ever really heard before. It'd never really been told consecutively in a film like this and um I don't know i'm I'm just really happy with it. it 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 was a long journey and you know everything that I read in the book uh that Colin Hall wrote five years ago really kind of came to life for me as i as I was turning the pages. I just had this idea or that idea and and now you just push play on the movie, and there it is so it's uh it's pretty neat and and the score definitely helps drive it and there, there's a lot of fun moments it, it's a very comical story because it's i mean you know think about just a bunch of young kids putting a band together that turns out to be the biggest band in the world i mean it's it's crazy it totally
0: is well i'm looking forward to it on tunesmate we try to get people interested in music and have people go down different paths so i've got two final questions for you here one is, I'll throw this one to Colin. We've got a game we play. It's called Title Title. So as you know, titles cannot be copyrighted. So there are two songs that are battling right now. We've got Holiday by Madonna and Holiday by Green Day. If you had to <laughs> choose one, which one would you vote for, Colin?
3: You know, I'd go Madonna just because I love the 80s. That's when I grew up. So I'd, I'd, I'd go Madonna.
0: Madonna All right. And... Todd, for you, you know, kind of quick question. So, thinking about it, if you had to do, you know, kind of some of your top musical influences, I know you talked about growing up in the 80s. If you were named one or two, what would they be?
2: Oh, God, it's great. That's a crazy question. I'd be like asking me, like, what my, what my favorite movie is. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, you know, composer wise, obviously, John Williams, Hans Zimmer, John yes. Barry. Uh, gosh, music! I mean, I you know, I, I grew up with Journey, I grew up with Van Halen, Madonna, obviously. Didn't we all? New Kids on the Block. I mean, come on, you know. Just I, I just run down the list. I, I, I don't even think I have a favorite. I, I just love all sorts of music. So it's um, yeah. I do, I do shy away from country every once in a while, but that's
0: just me. But uh, I, I, I appreciate it all. Well, our goal here is, we've got. The fascinating thing that we track is we found out that, for example, you 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 listen to Pat Benatar, who just got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. A lot of there's people, another one.
2: Yeah, I like her. I forgot her. I left her yeah, off. So. a
0: lot of people don't realize. Well, you know, she had a hit that went to you know number 38. That nobody plays on. You know, they always play "Hit Me with a Better Shot" and all the other ones. So you know, it's it's amazing how these kind of lost tracks get out there. You Even think about Journey. You know, they've got so many tracks. However they don't play the you know there was a song called uh what was it suzanne it was off their raised on radio album it went top 20 but they never play that one so our goal is just to make you remember those songs and i'm really happy that you were able to tell your story and if people wanted to find more about both of you obviously i know you both have websites and is there any place todd that people should go to find out more
2: yeah well i mean my my phone company is called stars north so obviously you can go to starsnorth.com. it's s-t-a-r-s-n-o-r-t-h.com um it's where i have all my projects listed and um you know i'm, I'm personally just on social media like everyone else facebook instagram so uh linkedin so i'm, I'm pretty available and accessible that way if you got a good story you want to pitch me excellent
0: How about you, Colin?
3: Yeah. uh, My website's just is ColinO'Malley.com, Colin with one L, -L -L O-M-A-L-L-E-Y. And uh, just my composer side, I try to keep updated music up there as well.
0: Well, your story was very inspiring for all those out there. You heard it straight from Todd and Colin about just keep pushing forward and you got to love what you do. Appreciate you being on the podcast today and sharing your story.
3: It was great being here. Thanks, Mark. You bet. My pleasure.
0: Fascinating. So, Colin said that his whole career started by sending a demo tape to Yanni. And Yanni was like, Sure, come on down to my studio. But I think he really, in essence, was saying that if you're going to make a run at either being a composer or a director, that it's going to take a while. It could take close to 10 years before you really make it. And we've seen this with many artists. I mean, you think about the sean colvin's what was that sunny came home yeah took her how many years to finally get a hit
1: oh yeah she was you know she was doing folk and adult contemporary stuff in the 1980s and then it was the mid 90s that she had her top 10 hit on the pop chart and yeah i mean that's you know that's a that's a key you for as many you know these young wonders who come along and hit stardom at 17 or something, you've got tons of folks out there and it takes them, uh, it can take, as you said, a decade or more to, to really kind of finally find that kind of broader success. And the same thing, you know, thinking about film direction, I mean, the film industry is very, very similar. You've got, you know, you think of actors who took years of doing bit parts and doing, you know, various types of work that they could doing commercials, you know, um, plays and stage performances and then eventually, you know, become known as, as film actors. And the same thing goes for a production crew. And in this case, we think about folks making the score of films, you know, you're trying to get, you're trying to craft your style and you're trying to get noticed and you're, you're doing bit part, you're, you're doing bit parts of things. You're working with somebody or doing, Independent films and stuff to try to you know get your your name out there and perfect your craft at the same time.
0: Yeah, and we also touched upon the work that both Todd and Colin have been teaming up on. And Women in Motion was just out, recounting the really the career and the impact that Nichelle Nichols had on space program, and that was fascinating. Also, this upcoming documentary on the Quarrymen and just taking a step back at what happened and how the Beatles transpired. There's another one coming out that Todd's working on that's about Del Shannon. And that's why it got me so interested in documentaries and understanding it. And I think there's so many stories to be told. And that was the other thing that Todd and Colin kept talking about is that this is all about storytelling. And we've talked about that a lot here on this podcast as well, that music tells stories. And that when you're working on this, it's all about that good story.
1: Yeah, uh, that's, you know, that seems to, it, it, as you mentioned, we've talked about that before. And that's a, that's a co- constant running theme that I notice in popular culture in general. And we can talk about it in terms of films, obviously tell stories. And the, again, the music is a, is a significant part of that. And documentaries are certainly, that's part of their job is to show you aspects of reality, but they need to tell a story at the same time. And that music tells a story, right? You know, that, you know, a song and a song may be as simple as, uh, you know, it may not have like a sort of literal story in the song. I mean, songs some songs do, but, but there's still a feeling there. And there's a conve- conveying a narrative to you, suggesting there's some kind of an experience that you're meant to have. And we've talked about that too, the idea of you know, music as an experience. And so it's kind of another way to sort of think about it is what kind of story do I want to listen to today? And that may inform what kind of music I'm going to listen to.
0: Yeah. Well, if you haven't had the opportunity, I would highly recommend checking out the work of Todd Thompson and Colin O'Malley. And they talked about where you can look up more information about their careers. However, this is what tunes Mate's all about. We want to As we've always said, Ray, we're always trying to get everyone to think about these music cycles that they're stuck in. And the same could be with what you're listening to. Like you said, you've got some really great soundtracks. And when I say soundtracks in quotes, I'm saying, compose compositions, musical scores. And maybe that's something you haven't thought about that you should listen to. And I bet you, Ray, you can probably put together a list of 20, <laughs> 20 of your favorites really easily.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I could, dating back years. You know, I think to, to some of the, you know, I mean, you know, listen to Lord of the Rings soundtrack sometime, or, you know, obviously you've got all the John Williams stuff from Star Wars onward, but even stuff like, remember the movie Grand Canyon in the mid-90s, in the early early 90s, sorry. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I remember listening to that like tons, you know, for a year or two there in the early early to mid-90s. And yeah, it's uh, it's it's a, an, as you said, it's, you know, you, you may you may kind of overthink the, or, or sort of overlook this this part of music, but it's a it's a it's a great form of music to listen to and something really worth checking out.
0: Well, there you have it. So once again, at tunesmate we appreciate you tuning in, subscribing to our podcast, following our blog. We've continually every day are putting out something for you to think about whether that's that 80s tune that you forgot about 25 years ago we're eclipsing almost the end of the 90s here and thinking about well what was that 50 years ago that hit and you've had some good ones up here recently ray where i've really had to go oh my gosh (laughs) celine dion my heart will go on (laughs) okay i guess that was 25 years ago Yeah. so There's so many that just recently are, if you are that child of the eighties or you grew up in the nineties, these are really starting to hit home.
1: Yeah, it really is hitting home. I mean, yeah, you mentioned my heart will go on, uh, you know, to think it's been 25 years since, since Titanic was out. And that was uh, a big hit often called the sort of signature hit of, of Celine Dion's career the other one. Week before that, you remember Kiss the Rain from Billy Myers. I mean, I remember loving that tune back in the day. And that's been 25 years already.
0: Yeah. And I, I remember the whole mystique behind that song that she misheard Bush's glycerine. <laughs> and he was like, is he singing Kiss the Rain? I guess he's not. I'm going to make a song out of it now. So there you go. It's its I think the theory that you've had for a while there, that's probably what Weird Al's doing all the time. Just mishearing songs. And that's, that's how he's coming up with all his hits well it's been fun we hope you had a good time on this podcast and once again my name is mark and i'm ray and we will see you next time